0: Okay, gentlemen, well, if we can go ahead and uh, find our seats, that would be helpful. We'll go ahead and get started this morning. We got a brand new study to kick off, which means we got a couple of details to go over this morning before we jump into our materials, so want to make sure that we use our time wisely here today together. Uh, it's good to see you guys. I've, I've really missed you on Friday mornings, and I know that uh, this is going to be a great study together I think we've got I just checked this morning 111 guys signed up for this fall so it looks like a few guys might still be trying to figure out how to get their alarm clocks to set for for quite that early but uh, I'm sure that they'll filter in here as we get going all right so it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a great study, you know. I am I'm really eager for this unit in particular. I've been looking forward to it for some time because there's so much confusion about who the Holy Spirit is and what He does and how we are to interact with Him. I think this is gonna be just a really great time. And you know, honestly, guys, I, I did not plan it this way, but in God's providence, um, we are heading here in the next couple of weeks into John chapters 14 through 16. Which, if you know anything about the Upper Room discourse, you you might you might as well just call it Holy Spirit Alley because that's where Jesus really just unrolls the whole program of who the Holy Spirit is for the first time and what He's going to come to do. And so, for us to be able to cover that on Sunday mornings while we're concurrently covering this on Friday mornings is going to be a pretty powerful. I think one, two punch uh, to approach this. So you guys will have kind of an extra uh, bonus leg up on everybody else on Sunday mornings because you already know what I'm talking about. Uh, So in God's providence, that's how that's worked out and it could not be better. Um, But I do wanna just make sure that you all see the schedule there. The plan is obviously to start here today And then roll through just about until Thanksgiving. And once we get to Thanksgiving, we'll be done. We'll take a break there um, through the holiday season. So um, that's really the plan each week between now and Thanksgiving. We're not planning to take any break at all. Uh, But once we hit Thanksgiving, then we'll be done for the holidays and we'll be good to go. I do have Pastor Alex um, teaching several times for me here this fall. On a couple of different topics to give him some opportunities to speak, uh, also to cover for me while I'm out of town on some various things and so that'll be that'll be a good thing as well. So he'll be up here a few times uh, here over the course of this study and so you can be looking forward to to him being here as well. But want to make sure I make mention of that. You can be praying for Pastor Alex. I actually I don't see him here this morning and probably for good reason. Uh, he just had surgery on a torn Achilles tendon. Uh, this past wednesday which from what i've been told he came through that okay and the surgery was successful but he's got a four to six week kind of recovery process out in front of him Uh, from what i've heard one of you and the guilty party knows who he is broke him on a pickleball court so i i don't know how that happens but it did so Anyway, no, that's, that, that's, that's good. So um, do want to encourage you guys too, okay? Um, do what you can to really be faithful and committed to the Iron Man groups, all right? Uh, if you're not yet assigned to an Iron Man group and, and you would like to be in one of those, just come and, and see me afterwards and I'd be happy to get you connected to one. Those should all have been already kind of pre-placed. But if you're not yet in one and you need one, come talk to me and we'll get you in one. Okay, though That's a really... Important part of this program. What we're doing right now in this room for this hour is beneficial, but the benefit of this is really tremendously amplified as you live out your daily life and Christian walk in the context of relationship to other men. That's not something that churches a lot of times focus on, but that is something that we do want to focus on so that we can build a true culture of discipleship and sharpening. Um, and Christ-likeness and camaraderie in the pursuit of Christ together. And so that's really important as part of this program and, uh, and really to your spiritual walk and the health of this church overall. So I would strongly encourage you to participate in that. Um, I know those groups are uh, intended to give you an opportunity to be able to talk about what you're learning, perhaps where you're struggling, where you need prayer and to come alongside one another and provide you kind of a platform and a vehicle by which you can live out um, the admonitions to fellowship meaningfully with each other. Uh, And I've I've been so encouraged, my heart's been so warmed this morning, just to see those groups kind of picking up again. I know for those of you who are in them and you've built those relationships together, we take five, six weeks off and, and, and you truly miss each other. And I've heard that from a number of you and so to see you all back together again getting going this morning has been a real encouragement to me just to know that that biblical true christian fellowship is happening here in the room okay so so make sure you prioritize that and and stay committed to those things just want to encourage you with that here up front all right um the book i hope you all had a chance to grab the book out back Um, if you did not they are out back Um, if for some reason you were planning to pay pay for this with cash or check uh, you're more than welcome to do that. I think Dan Adams was out there. You can see him afterwards. You can see me afterwards. We'll get you squared away. But I know most of you have already done that. Um, but this is this is really um, a great book. Um, if, if by the way, you ha- let me just say this before I talk about the book, I forgot. If you have not yet signed up for the class, can we go back to that slide that had the QR code up there? Um, if you haven't actually formally and officially signed up, just scan that code with your phone. Do it right now if you don't mind. We want to make sure everybody's kind of officially enrolled that way you get the class communications and announcements and all that it would really be helpful to us to be able to keep track of you so if you have not yet signed up go ahead and just do that and you can actually just take care of buying one of these books right there in that process if you need if you need to um but this book let me just talk about it here for a few minutes guys i I had a terrible time trying to find a good Textbook for our study this term, and for a lot of different reasons. But um, I, in God's kindness, just happened to be listening to a podcast one day from a guy named Kosti uh, who is a friend of mine, and I saw that he has a podcast, and so I just clicked on it and thought, I wonder what he's talking about. And the very first thing that he said out of his mouth was, My new book, Knowing the Spirit, is coming out in September, and I would encourage you all to go online and pre order a copy on Amazon. And I'm thinking, oh, huh. And the more he started talking about what the, book he, what the book was that he had written, the more I thought, that sounds exactly like what I've been looking for. And so I reached out to him and I said, hey, look, man, I will sign a confidentiality agreement. I don't care what it takes, but is there any way that I can get a copy ahead of time so I can see if it would be a good fit for our class? And if it is, we'll buy a whole bunch of copies. And he's no. No no agreement necessary i 'll just send you a copy, and so he did. I got it, read it, and I thought this is this is perfect. This is exactly what we need and and for a number of really good reasons, um, this is a really balanced resource. A lot of times when you get into this field, there are people who are arguing for a particular perspective or view over the other, and the the level of animosity and the the temperature in the conversation gets really heated really quick he does a great job of just keeping the the tone of his writing very well balanced presenting all the different possibilities and this is what i believe the scriptures teach which is in, which is consistent with what we would believe that the scriptures teach and so it's really just a, a it has a charitable tone to it you'll see that as you go through Um, But it's also very balanced in the content as well, you know, because of all the abuses of the Holy Spirit that we see happening in the modern church today, the pendulum tends to swing one way or the other, right? Where people will just make the Holy Spirit to be whatever they want him to be, and the pendulum swings way over here, and you've got all kinds of chaos going on in the charismatic church particularly, um, and all sorts of nonsense going on. Well, that the pendulum can be swung from the chaos over here into such control that we completely ignore the spirit. It's as though he's not even there, right? We, we say, oh, no, we, we know exactly who he is, and we just kind of relegate him over here to a place that that is not important because he's been so overemphasized over there. And that's equally as unhelpful. And so I think this book does a good job of calling us to restore a balanced, healthy perspective about the centrality of the Holy Spirit's role and calling us to understand exactly what that role is specifically so that we don't trip over the boundary into, uh, into, into error, okay? So I think that's gonna be helpful to you men. The other thing I'll say is that this is really very approachable. I told Costi that this is not going to break anybody's brain and that all of you men thanked him in advance, okay? Um, I I know that you're all grateful for that after our theology proper unit. Everybody's kind of looking at me with their eyeballs going different directions. Um, This book is not going to do that. This is very approachable, very easy to read. I think you guys will be very, um, very, very well benefited by that. You'll be able to understand it. And it's comprehensive. You know, it covers pretty much every different area in the field of pneumatology Um, which I'm also very grateful for, because a lot of these kinds of books can zero in on one particular kind of issue within the field without really covering the whole field. And so this really, I think, does a fantastic job of helping us understand what we need to understand in a simple, clear, straightforward, balanced, charitable way. All right. So hopefully you men will enjoy this. Um, It's not going to be a heavy lift for you. Um, but it it will be good. If if you're saying, oh man, I was I was hoping for a heavy lift. Any anybody looking for a for a heavy lift in the room? All right. Well, if 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 you're if you're too ashamed to raise your hand, and you are, um, I, I did put some um, some recommended resources at the bottom of the uh, of the, the schedule here for the term. And so those are some other books where if you 're wanting to dig a little deeper and go a little further, um, you can you can look at some of those books as well. Some of those resources will be really helpful to you if you 're saying, I really want to read up on this there's four or five additional resources there that I think would be helpful, um, but none of them really fit the bill for what we were trying to do in this class all right but this book does, and so i 'm very excited to go through it with you i 'm hopeful i don 't want to promise this, but i 'm hopeful that we can try to get Coy out here to visit us perhaps in January. I've sent him some dates, and he's still looking at his calendar, but maybe we can get him out here early next spring to uh, do a conference for us or something, which would be really a, a privilege and a treat for us to have him after we've studied his, his work, okay? Any questions at all about this term, where we're going, how it's going to work, the book, anything at all that you're wondering? Okay, We're all, we're all old pros for the most part at this point. We, we know what we're doing on Friday morning. Good, just wanted to make sure, okay? Well, let me go ahead and, uh, well, before I open us in prayer, just a couple of announcements that I almost forgot. Um, Tomorrow morning, normally Pastor Jerry has a Saturday morning men's group. There is no Saturday morning men's group tomorrow. Is this correct? This is correct. And the reason why is because this building will be filled with about 130 ladies who will be here for a women's conference all day tomorrow, And so um, if you show up in the parking lot, you you will very quickly realize you are not in the right place tomorrow morning as a man, all right? It will be a women's conference here tomorrow. And so that means that there is no men's Bible study here tomorrow morning. Um, But what that does mean, guys, is that we need a little bit of help here afterwards today, just kind of getting this room set up. So if you don't have to get to to work right away afterwards, and you've got a couple minutes to just stay and help tear down these chairs and get things set up, Joe Graff, would very much appreciate it. Isn't that right, Joe? Okay, good, good. Um, But that also means because they'll be tearing down and setting up in here immediately following the Iron Man groups that normally meet here in the worship center right afterwards. If you men could find a different place to meet, whether that's out in the lobby or one of the classrooms, um, just pull the car over somewhere else, not in here, because if you try to meet in here, you're gonna find your chair taken from underneath you very rapidly, okay? Um, so you can help us that way. The last thing that I will tell you, uh, and this is something where if you're able to do this, guys, please talk to Joe, otherwise he'll be here all night by himself on Saturday night. Saturday at 4 p.m., he's going to need help putting this room back together so that we can have church on Sunday morning. So if you're free Saturday afternoon to come and serve, just set these chairs back up in this configuration. Joe, would be very grateful for your help. Please go see him and let him know that you can be here on Saturday for that, okay? Anything I left out? Okay, at four o'clock on Saturday. Okay, so right afterwards today, four o'clock on Saturday, and that would be just a a really, really big help. All right, let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your kindness to us and the privilege that it is for this study in particular. You have gifted us uh, to such tremendous degree that it is... Literally beyond our comprehension, Uh, we don't even comprehend how greatly benefited we are through the presence of your Spirit in our life. And so, Father, as we dig into this study together as men, I pray that our hearts would be warmed, that we would rejoice in the greatness and goodness of who you are in bestowing your Spirit upon us. That's not something that you owed to us, and yet in your goodness and kindness, you've done it. And Father, may we seek to be diligent to understand it, to apply it, and to make sure that we appreciate it for all that it's worth. And Lord, that's our objective this morning is to to take these next few moments to just understand why this study is so important and how it impacts our life and how we ought to seek to honor you through it. So Father, thank you for these men, for their heart for you, and, and for your truth about your spirit that we'll be covering together in these next few weeks. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, let's go ahead and, uh, and dig in here this morning. I want to start with a little bit of a definition because we will throw this term out every once in a while as we move through our material this fall. But pneumatology, what, what, what does that mean? Right? What does what the, the term pneumatology mean? Again, it sounds like theologians have come up with the fanciest names they can think of to describe pretty simple things. Let me go ahead and define it for you so that if you see that word rolling around anywhere, perhaps in a book or here in this class, you know exactly what it means, all right? Pneuma is the Greek word for a spirit or for a breath. The word can mean either one, depending on the context, a breath or a spirit. In the case of pneumatology, we're meaning it to be in reference to the spirit, this is a study of the things of the spirit. And you'll remember from prior studies that the Greek word logos, it's a it's a word that means word or a word that means a study about something. So when we talk about pneumatology, we're talking about a word or a study of the things concerning the spirit. That's what pneumatology means. The study of the Spirit. And in this case, we're talking about the Holy Spirit specifically. So that's what that means at a very practical level. And I I think you guys probably could have deduced that. But I want to go ahead and make sure that it's clear so that we're not using a term all all term that we don't um, actually understand. All right. But you know, as we start thinking about the Holy Spirit and start talking about him, we really find ourselves in a bit of a situation, both as men And as members of a modern church, we we look around and we see that there is a tremendous degree of confusion about the person of the Holy Spirit. There is just a lack of clarity in general in terms of who he is and what he does and how he functions and how you can know him. Uh, There's all sorts of um, confusion about him. Now, let me put it this way. Um, If I were to ask you, without God the Father, where would we be? Well, you guys know the answer to that question, right? The world would like literally implode. Without the power of God and his plan and his sovereignty and his authority and power upholding all things, there is literally nothing. And the agent by which he does that is who? Who? Well, it's his son, right? It's Jesus, his son, who upholds all things by the word of his power. And so we know without the father, we're in trouble. Without the son, where would we be? Well, we'd still be in trouble, right? We'd be, we'd be dead in our sins. There would be no salvation possible without the person of the son. And we all see that. We affirm that. And we understand it, right? But the father, oh man, he, he is essential, the son, oh well clearly he is he is essential you can't you can't be a Christian and not understand with clarity the role of the Father and understand with clarity the the role of the Son, but what about the Holy Spirit right without the Holy Spirit, where would we be? the answers to the Father and the son those are obvious answers because we 're well versed in them, and we understand very clearly where we would be without him we 'd be in deep trouble. But without the Holy Spirit, you ask that question to your average pew-sitting church uh, pew churchgoer, and they don't know the answer to that question. Without the Spirit, where would you be? Uh, well, yeah, I'd, I'd be in trouble, but I can't express to you exactly why I would be in trouble. See, most people can't answer that question. We've got a, we've got a big problem with, the, with clarity about the person, the work, the importance, of the Holy Spirit, and that is a significant problem. You see, our churches, in large part, they, they suffer from an information vacuum as it relates to the Holy Spirit. And you say, well, how can you, how can you prove that that's true? Well, you go to any church here in West County or St. Louis, and you start spouting off heresy as it relates to the Son, one of the Christological heresies, and boom, it's gonna be noticed immediately. You start denying things like the power and omniscience and authority of God the Father, and boom, immediately you'll be condemned, right? Where there's great clarity on those things. But then you start talking about the Holy Spirit, and it's pretty much a Wild Wild West show. Anything goes, and there's not clarity as to who he is or what he does or how he interacts and operates in relationship to us. And you can see that because as you you go to different churches, you'll find out that they all have different perspectives. See, there is not clarity as to who the Holy Spirit is, which is really, really significant. You know, I think it was Aristotle, the great philosopher, who said, nature abhors a vacuum. Remember that quote? Nature abhors a vacuum. And that is true in nature. That is true in physics. It is also true in the field of theology as well. You see, when there is not information readily available, when there is not clarity readily available, what happens? Well, nature abhors a vacuum. And so people begin to fill it. They begin to fill the void of information. And you know what they fill it with? Their own ideas, their own suppositions, their own errant thoughts about theology, right? Their own assumptions or variants or falsehoods. People will always try to fill a void where information is needed but is lacking. And the result is that we have got a really big problem because when it comes to the the Holy Spirit, many people's understanding it is an information vacuum and therefore confusion is reigning supreme. And so they have really taken and just kind of thought through what do I want the Holy Spirit to be? And that's what they believe. And in many cases, they have codified their confusion into actual theological systems. And now you've got entire denominations and movements of churches that are defined primarily by their pursuit of a Holy Spirit that does not actually exist. And that is really a significant problem. You see, there are a lot of different reasons why we have confusion and chaos as it relates to the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. The first one is that people don't actually understand the reality of his nature. They don't understand the reality of his nature. And you could go back and look at Romans chapter 8, verse 27 to see the centrality of his nature to understanding his work. You know, Many people, and we'll look a little bit more at this next week, but many people assume that the Holy Spirit is just some kind of ethereal, mystical force who is out there. You know, you've got like the force in Star Wars that kind of undergirds and is just there. And if you really have special knowledge, you can tap into it. Well, that's kind of the idea that, that, that exists with many people in reference to their understanding of the Holy Spirit, that oh, he's there and he undergirds everything. And I can, if I know the right, if I know the right code, can just kind of tap into his power because he's this, this mystical force, this invisible thing that, that just exists out there somewhere. And special people get the ability to tap into that force. Well, that is not consistent with the biblical definition of who the Holy Spirit is. No, the Holy Spirit is a person specifically who has a specific form of identity, right? We're told that he is the Spirit of Christ, Romans chapter eight, verse nine. He is equivalent to, equal to, and identical to the person of Christ, while maintaining the individuality of his spiritness, his, his role and person as the Holy Spirit. We're told that the fruits of the spirit are equivalent to Christ' likeness. See, he has a specific identity. He is a specific person. He is not just some unknown force. And so a big part of the reason why there is such confusion about him is because people fundamentally don't understand the nature of who he is. But beyond that, beyond the fact that people don't understand his nature, because they haven't taken the time to study what Scripture actually says about him, people also don't understand his character either. John chapter 14, verse 16. Let's just go there quickly. And look at that, and again, as I said earlier, I'm, I'm, we're going to be amazed at the overlap that exists between our study this fall and our study in the Gospel of John, because Jesus keeps coming back around to who the Holy Spirit is and what he's going to do. In John fourteen sixteen, he says, I am going to ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. And here's the key. He is even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and he will be in you. You see, one of the key things that is revealed to us there in those verses is that the character of the Holy Spirit exists to provide you and me with truth as it relates to the person of the father and the son. And As we'll see in future studies together, that means that the Holy Spirit is inherently a spirit of not only truth, but humility. He never calls attention to himself or his own work, because his premier, paramount, overarching goal is to call attention to the work of Jesus Christ, to magnify the person of Jesus Christ. And so the Holy Spirit's primary objective is to make much of Christ before your eyes and not himself. See, that's where a lot of different people, a lot of different churches go astray. They seek to make much of the Spirit before their eyes, rather than seeking to do that which is consistent with the Spirit's desire, and that is to focus and fix their eyes on the person of Jesus Christ. And when you don't understand the nature of the Spirit's work, that he is trying to get you to see Jesus clearly, that is what he is after. Well, then you take your eyes off the person of Christ and you begin to focus on these secret things, quote-unquote, of the Spirit, and you find yourself not on the same page as he is at all. See, it's an understanding of the work of the Spirit that allows us to be thinking and acting consistently with that spirit. But when you don't understand his character, that he has a a certain humility about him that is not looking for attention, he wants your attention on Christ, you're going to get him wrong. And people then, because of that, they often misattribute his work. That's the next reason why people don't understand him clearly, because they don't understand his nature, his character, and then they end up misattributing his work. Attributing to the Holy Spirit... All sorts of things that do not belong to the Holy Spirit, all right? And here's why that is so very significant. John chapter 14, verse 26. Let me read this for us. The helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. Who is it that sends the Father? I'm sorry. Wow, I need more coffee. (laughs) Who is it that sends the Spirit? The Father. That's what it just said. The Father is the one who sends the Spirit, and he does that in the name of Jesus Christ. And because he has been sent from the Father through the Son, he is now going to teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Who is it that gives the Spirit of God the work that he is to do? The Father? That's exactly right. The Father and the Son. Where in that text does it say that you are one who is responsible to attribute to the Spirit the things of the Spirit? It doesn't, right? And so you've got people all over the place attributing this to the Spirit and that as a work of the Spirit and this to the Spirit. But the Scriptures never give you the authority to attribute to the Spirit or to give to the Spirit the work of the Spirit. That is way beyond the boundaries of what is appropriate right the only people who the only ones not people the only ones who are able to give to the spirit the things of the spirit are the father and the son never you or i so when you have a situation where people and churches are running around attributing this grand thing to the work of the spirit and that to the work of the spirit you'd better be really really careful because it's not within the boundaries of your rights to attribute anything to the spirit or for you to give him anything to do the only things that can be attributed to the Spirit are those things that God has given the Spirit to do. All right? The other reason why this is important is because often people will abuse his humility. John chapter 15, verse 26. See, as we've said before, it is the intention of the Spirit to put Christ in the spotlight. And when you insist upon making the Spirit and the pursuit of the Spirit, the centerpiece of your theology in exclusion to the person of Jesus Christ, you are doing exactly the opposite of what the Spirit actually desires you to be doing. Right? You are, his whole role is a role of humility where he is saying, take your eyes off of me and put them onto Christ. And when churches or systems insist upon making the Spirit the centerpiece of everything to the exclusion of a focus on Jesus Christ, well, you're doing the exact opposite of what he desires. So these are the reasons why there are, you can get into really big trouble as it relates to the Holy Spirit. This is the situation that we find our in. People who don't understand his nature, people who don't understand his character, people who misattribute his works, and people who abuse his humility. And that's why it's very important that we understand exactly who the Spirit is and how we are to interact with him correctly. So now now that we've talked about that, let's just talk about the reasons why we should study the Spirit so that we can get Him right. Why should we study the Spirit? Well, there's going to be three major headings here for why we should study the Spirit and why we should make sure we understand Him correctly. There is no reason, there is no excuse that can be given for not fully comprehending who the Spirit of God is, what He does, and how we should interact with Him. There should not be an information vacuum about the person of the Holy Spirit, because the Scriptures give us an abundance of specific information about who He is, what He does, and how we are expected to engage with Him. And so anybody who doesn't understand just simply hasn't done the work necessary to dig into the text of Scripture and seek to understand Him. And that's really the task that is before us this morning. He is fully knowable. He is understandable. And Christ intended for us to understand him. It's why he comforts his disciples in John chapter 14. When he says, we just saw it this past Sunday, look, I am leaving and where I am going, you cannot come. But in the very next breath in chapter 14, he goes on to unroll this program. I am going to send you a helper. See, he didn't mean for the Holy Spirit to be some kind of nebulous being that is and may or may not be in your life doing who knows what. That, that is not the intention of how Jesus Christ expects us to interact with the person of the Holy Spirit. No, he sent him as a helper to be knowable, to open our eyes, so that we would understand and have the Spirit of Christ resident within us in the most intimate of ways. And so that's really what we've got to pursue, a knowledge of the Spirit, a relationship to the Spirit that fulfills the expectation that Jesus Christ has given to us. And I am kind of positing this uh, assumption before you this morning, that that is possible, which is why the title of our study is Knowing the Spirit. Not only can you know the Spirit, you should know the Spirit, and you must know the Spirit. So why should we be pursuing these things of the Spirit? Three reasons, let me give them to you. Who he is, that's going to be reason number one. Who you are, that's going to be reason number two. And what the church needs, that's going to be reason number three. So let's just talk about each of these areas specifically. Let's start with talking about who the Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is referenced 324 times in the scripture. That's just the places where he is referenced directly by name. It does not include all the places where his work is obvious or he is alluded to not by name. 324 times in scripture we're given a direct statement about the spirit. And in each of those references we learn a little bit more about who he is and and what he does. And so as I said, there is no lack of information about the nature of the Holy Spirit. Couple things about him that we'll get into in future uh, in future lessons together, but it's important to recognize that he is an equal member of the Trinity. He's an equal member of the Trinity. It's not as though the Godhead is made up of the Father and the Son and off here to the side is this lesser known being called the Holy Spirit, no he occupies an equivalent position within the Godhead. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, you can see very clearly there that truth in that text. It is in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, all three of them present there, and they're elevated to the same status of being on the same plane, all three being members of the Godhead together, three in one. You deny that truth, you you end up in really deep trouble really fast, okay? That's the first thing about who he is. He's an equal member of the Trinity. Second thing to, to acknowledge about him is that he is a knowable person who has within himself a mind, a will, and affections. If you talk about what is it that identifies someone as being a person, personhood, what is it that gives me my personhood? It is the fact that I have a mind that is capable of thinking. I have a will that is capable of acting. And I have a set of emotions that are capable of feeling. Now the Holy Spirit's feelings, emotions are not going to be exactly the same as ours, but he still does have affections he has affections he has a mind and he has a will and you can see that playing out there in hebrews chapter 10 verse 29 let's just go there and look at that one specifically but but go ahead somebody when they get there hebrews 10:29 go ahead and read that text for us um, how much Okay. He who has insulted the spirit of grace. Another word that you may see there in your translation of your Bible is he who has outraged the spirit of grace. How do you outrage or insult someone who doesn't have personhood, who doesn't have mind or a will or affections? Right? The fact that it is possible to outrage or to insult him requires that he be an identifiable person person with all those different aspects which means that he is knowable you can't just stand at a distance and say well i i know he's there i i think this about him no you're not supposed to just think things about him you're supposed to know him intimately because he is knowable as an individual person we'll talk more about that as we get going but these are reasons why we must study the things of the spirit all right John chapter fifteen verse twenty six. Somebody go ahead there for me. And then we'll also go to Genesis one two. Who can read for me Genesis one two? Tom? And then Revelation twenty two seventeen. Who can do that one? Okay, Kurt? All right, John fifteen, twenty six. Here's some more about who he is. Somebody there? not all at once now. Okay. Do you see there how that the, the spirit of God has been given a specific and identifiable kind of mission? It's not as though, you know, it's just unknown to us what it is the spirit is supposed to be doing or, or how he is interacting no, John 15, 26, we're very clearly told that he is on a specific mission and has been sent on that mission from the Father and the Son. And what is that mission there in verse 26? It is to bear witness about the person of Jesus Christ. That is what the Holy Spirit's mission is, specifically, to make much of who Christ is. And We'll get into that more both in this study and on Sunday mornings as well, all right? So he's an equal member of the Trinity. He is a knowable person. He has a specific and identifiable mission. Do You see how the the, the nebulous, unknown features of who the Holy Spirit is are starting to melt away a little bit? There there is no lack of clarity in the scriptures about who he is. It's not like, uh, he's out there. No, Um, he is right here. And he has an incredibly specific personhood. He is knowable. And he has a specific mission that he is on. And that's why we must study to understand who he is and how we know him and what his mission is. But the other reason, as it relates to who he is, why we should be studying the things of the Holy Spirit is because he is present at both the beginning and the end of the story. And this is something that struck me as I was preparing for this morning that I had never thought of before. But if you go back and look, you can see the presence of the Holy Spirit at the point of creation and at the conclusion. All right, let's, let's look at that just very quickly here. Genesis 1-2. Was that you, Tom? Okay, so nothing has been created yet, but who is present there? The Holy Spirit of God is present there. As creation is getting going, there is the Holy Spirit. Now let's go over to Revelation chapter twenty-two, verse seventeen. Who is there? Okay. So what you have there in the final chapter of the Bible is this invitation to those who have been declared worthy by God into the eternal state. And who is it that is issuing first and foremost the invitation into the kingdom of God for the rest of eternity? On the one hand, it is the spirit, and on the other, it is the bride, right? And so you've got the spirit of God there at the conclusion of the story, extending an invitation to welcome, come into the presence of the Father for the rest of eternity. So he's there at the beginning and the end. He is not some minor figure that's relegated off to the side that is absent and not present. No, he is there at the critical moments. And that's what we're going to find here as we get going in this study that he is not only there in the critical moments of redemptive history, he is also going to be there at the critical moments in your own story of salvation. Now, let's just talk about that for a little bit, because this is the second broad category for why we should be studying the scriptures. Not just who he is in his nature, but who you are. In your nature, all right. Now I've got a bunch of texts here that we need to cover this morning and read them. I want you to see these things from Scripture specifically, and I want to go quickly through these. So I'm just going to read off these texts, and I want you guys to just um, go ahead and volunteer for them, and then remember which ones you volunteered for. So John three five to six. Charlie, First Corinthians two ten through thirteen. Rogi, uh, Ephesians three sixteen. John, John sixteen eight to eleven. Okay, Pat, Ephesians one thirteen. Okay, Alan, uh, let's do just 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 13. Okay, Tom, and then Ephesians two eighteen. Chris, all right, let's just do these. Uh, we'll, we'll go rapid fire now to make sure we get to the end of our lesson, all right? So here's who you are. Without the Holy Spirit, this is why we need to study him. First of all, there is no salvation, John 3, 5 through 6. Okay? Why should you study him? Because if you don't have him, you have no salvation. <laughs> That's a pretty good reason. All right, let's keep going. Without him, you also have no illumination. 1 Corinthians 2:10 to 13. So the thrust of Paul's argument there is this. You are the only person who can know the reality of your own mind. Right? I mean, I, I've got close relationships with, um, let's say, my, 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 my wife, for instance. There was something I was thinking about yesterday. It was on my mind, on my heart, all day long. And I'm laying there in bed last night, and I'm realizing, you know, I really need to talk to my wife about this because she has no idea what I've been thinking about all day. How could she know? Because it's in my mind, and if I don't speak it, if I don't tell her what is on my mind, there is no way for her to know what is on my mind. Obviously, I need to open my mouth and, shocker, men, communicate. Right? That's the way it works. I'm the only person who knows what is lodged in my mind. And Paul is saying, similarly, the only person who knows what is in the mind of God, is the spirit of God. And therefore, if you do not have the spirit of God, you are not capable of knowing the mind of God. The only way for you to know the mind of God is through the articulation, the communication of the spirit of God, as he now illuminates to you the mind of God. It's the spirit of the person that knows the mind of the person. And so therefore, if you do not have the spirit of God, you cannot possibly know the mind of God. Right? That's the idea of illumination. You understand? This is why knowing the Spirit is so important. Because if you don't have Him, you have no illumination to know what is in God's mind. That's why we ought to study Him and understand Him. Because without Him, there is no illumination. Additionally, without Him, there is no spiritual power. Ephesians 3.16. Who has that one? He is the source of all spiritual power. Without him, you got nothing. Addition, in addition, without him, there is no repentance. John sixteen eight to 11. There's two pats. You guys want to do it together? <laughs> all right, Pat. You do this pat, pat number one, 16, 8. Uh, And this pat, 9 through 11. How's that? Okay? Okay, so who is the one who provides the ability to know anything about sin or about righteousness and my need of it? It's the Helper, it's the Holy Spirit. And if he's not present, there can be no repentance because you'll never understand either your sin and therefore your need of repentance, nor will you understand the reality of righteousness and the alternative to sin. He is the one who reveals those things. So without him, there is no repentance. Ephesians 1.13, without him, there is no perseverance. If I, can lo- if I could lose my salvation, I absolutely would. Good thing, though, that it's not just up to me. Ephesians chapter 1.13, who's got it? You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. He is the one who keeps you now in the faith. Because if it was just up to you, man, your faith would vaporize before the heat of this world. But it's the Spirit of God with which you have been sealed who now keeps you in that faith. All right. Without Him, there is no church. You could go and look at Acts chapter 2. It is the coming of the Holy Spirit that gives birth to the church. But what does 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verses 12 through 13 say? It is the, the presence of a single spirit who gives birth and life to the reality of the church. Friends, you, you need the reality of the church in your life. I need the reality of the church in my life. And if it were not for the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life, not only would there not be a church, but I could never possibly become a part of it. That thing which I most desperately need, the, the support and the strengthening of other brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus would not be there for me if it were not for the one Spirit calling all of us to himself. This is why we need the Spirit. Again, without him, there is no knowledge of the Father or of the Son, Ephesians 2.18. Who is there? Okay, there it is. He is the one who grants us access to the knowledge of both the Father and the Son. So here's why you got to study him. It's because not only who he is, but also who you are. Without him, no salvation, illumination, power, repentance, perseverance, church, or knowledge of God at all. You see, you take the spirit out of the equation, and you have got a really substantive problem because of who you are and what you need. But see, it's not just about who you are and what you need. It's also about what the church needs as well. All right, this is the third reason why we, study the script, why we study the scriptures, to find the things of the Spirit, because of what the church needs. Without the Spirit, you are nothing, but neither is the church. Let's just dig into that here for the few minutes that we've got remaining. What does the church need? And I've got a number of other references that are here. And, and again, I know this is rapid fire, and it feels kind of like a dump truck here towards the end, but that's on purpose, because I really want you to feel the weightiness of the role of the Holy Spirit to to be motivated now to apply yourself to learn about him the rest of our time together so let's just run through these a number of other texts here that I want you to see I want you to be just washed this morning in the presence of the spirit in the word of God as it explains to you exactly what he does and why he's so important so let's go to uh, Titus 3 5 who can do that one okay um, is that Aidan back there yes okay um John four twenty-one to twenty-four. Charlie, you got that one again? Uh John fourteen, seventeen. Okay, Don. First uh, Corinthians twelve, eleven. Tony? Um first Corinthians six, eleven. Okay, that pat number two. Okay. Um Romans eight, twenty-six. Okay, back there in the back. Um, and Ephesians four, three to four. Right here. Okay. All right. Very good. What does the church need? What does the Holy Spirit provide for His church now? Not just you as individuals. You will experience all of these things, but these are all things that are experienced now corporately. Okay, Titus 3 5. What does He provide? Wait a minute. Who does the renewal? The Holy Spirit. See, he is the one who delivers the effect of Christ's salvation to the church. He is the one who renews and washes us, okay? His role in salvation is what the church needs. John chapter 4, verse 21 to 24. We covered this, I don't know, a year and a half ago in our study of John. But let's just go ahead and read it together. Who's got that? I don't see anybody here trying to make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem on a Sunday in order to worship. Anybody doing that? No? I know you don't because you come here to this church. Why don't you do that? Why don't you go try to find the presence of God in a particular place? It's because you have the Spirit residing within you, and He is now the one who facilitates all of your worship being in you. This is what he provides for his church, the ability to worship God, right? Without him, there is no worship. You cannot be in the presence of God. But with him, when we gather together, or when you go to worship individually, you have the presence of God right there within you. That's the benefit of the Spirit. That's what he provides to his church, the ability to worship God. Um, We keep going. John chapter 14, verse 17. There is this idea, again, of illumination, not just as an individual, but as a church. See, in that context there, Jesus is talking to the apostles who are going to go on to found the church specifically. And that which is going to found the church is the presence of the Spirit within them, directing them to author and write the texts of Scripture, that's what he's pointing to in that, in that context. You see, without the Spirit, there would be no illumination for the church because there would be no word of God. And that's why we have to understand the Spirit, is because he is the one who illuminates not just as individuals, but us as a church using his word specifically. You keep going. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11. What do we find there? What does he do for the church, Tony? Tony, you're a, you're a Bible scholar. What, what are we talking about there in the context? What, what is it that he's apportioning out to the church in the context of 1 Corinthians 12? Gifts of the Spirit. There it is. Yep, okay. It's the Spirit who gives gifts to his church. All right, without the Holy Spirit, there are no spiritual gifts. And the church ceases to function because no one is qualified to teach or preach. No one is qualified to serve or encourage or admonish. Uh, there, there are no gifts without the Spirit. And so you, you have to understand the Spirit to understand how the church is supposed to function and operate. All right, you keep going. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. church is supposed to be a place where together we all pursue a standard of holiness. How is it that we can hope to be practically holy in the midst of a sin-cursed world battling our flesh? Who is the one who provides us with purity and renewal as a church? It's the person of the Holy Spirit. That's what the text says right there. Okay? Romans 8:26. We find his role in preserving. We've only got two more of these. I know you guys are getting tired, but let's just wrap it up here, okay? Romans eight twenty six. What does the Spirit do for us there? Okay, that's a verse about your spiritual walk. Guys, the text basically says, you don't know what you're doing when it comes to your spiritual walk. And the only way that you're able to stay on track is as the Holy Spirit keeps you on track and intercedes for you with groanings that are too deep for your own words and understandings. He knows what he's doing when you don't, and you never know what you're doing. It's only because of the presence of the Holy Spirit that you are able to be preserved through your life and in your faith and persevere to the end. That's what he does for his church. Then one more. Here's, here's the last thing that he provides to his church. We find his role in unifying us together as well. Ephesians 4, 3 through 4. Who's got that? Okay. There is one body, and that is because there is how many spirits? One spirit. See, his role is to unify and weld us together as a single unit. All of us, our hearts beating for the person of Jesus Christ, who is our one single unified hope. He is the theme that keeps us all with our eyes on the same page. And the way we stay on the same page is as the Spirit of God does his work to keep us together. All right, these are the things that the Holy Spirit of God does, not just for you, but for his church as well. Do you guys see here, as we've gone through this, why it's so important to understand rightly the Spirit of God, to study the Spirit of God, to grasp what it is that He does? Guys, He is knowable. He is understandable, comprehensible. And we have to understand Him. Because of who He is, all the greatness that we've just talked about, because of who we are and the profundity of our need before Him, and because of what the church is, and how important it is, and his central place in what he is accomplishing here in our midst. Here's the bottom line that I I want to leave with you this morning. The presence of the Holy Spirit in your life, it is the greatest gift from God that you possess today. If you have him in your life, then you have the capacity to now abide in Christ and have everything that you need for life and godliness. But if you do not have him, it means that you are found outside of Christ and you have absolutely nothing. If God has gone to such great lengths to gift us in the way that he has with the person and presence of the Holy Spirit now dwelling within us, should we not now go through the effort necessary to seek to understand and know him, I think that's a worthy endeavor. And I think we can all agree on that. So hopefully now that we've set that foundation, the next time we can jump into what that actually looks like. But now we know this is important. We need to know the spirit and we can. All right. It is exactly 730. So we will see you guys next time. Again, don't forget if you can stay and help, come see Joe. And if you're in an Iron Man group... <laughs>